This is episode 221 of the Fearless Launching Show. Today, we're talking about what it takes to create a product-based business. This is something that many people have been asking for inside our Launch Lounge group, as well as people in Fearless Launching. And so I wanted to bring on the one woman I knew really better than anybody who could talk about this and also talk about something I think is really important these days as we're creating product-based businesses. And that's just the idea of being ethical, thinking about our environment, thinking about what what it's taking to create these product-based, these products that we're launching. So we are joined today by Christy Sumer, founder of Encircled, an ethical clothing line based out of Canada. I think I think you're just going to love Christy. She's got so much to share. And if you are thinking about starting a product-based business, today's episode is definitely for you. And even if you're just thinking about creating one product or physical product for your digital business, listen in. Okay, I'll see you on the inside. Hi, I'm Ann Samoylov, and I've helped some of the biggest online entrepreneurs and business owners have successful six and seven figure product launches. By working in the trenches offline to produce movies, TV shows, video games, I've discovered so many different ways to launch creative ideas. And the question is, do you have to copy what your guru says in order to have a successful launch? Do you have to use their done-for-you system in order to have success, in order to achieve your goals in business? I say no. This is the Fearless Launching Show featuring myself and an ongoing cast of characters, friends who join me in discussing business, launching, life, and balancing it all and having an amazing time doing it. Let's get into today's episode. So Christy, welcome to the Fearless Launching Show. I am so excited to have you on the show finally. <laughs> Yay, I'm so happy to be here, Anne. Thanks for having me. Um, and I, you know, there, there's a lots of different reasons. As I kind of mentioned before, we've had lots of people who've wanted to hear from product-based business owners um, and finding out like what that whole experience is like. There are certain people who are just getting started, um, you know, with different types of products. And because I know you um, well from our, our mentoring work together that we do, uh, I figured that you were a great person to kind of just bring in plus here. Plus, I just want to know the story of the business that you've got. So mm. would you tell us what you what your business is and, and just a little bit about that? Sure, so my name is Christy Sumer. I'm the founder and CEO of Encircled. We're a line of ethically made versatile apparel for women that's retailed exclusively online uh, through our two websites, encircled.ca and circle.co. Um, and I basically started the business out of a need. So I am not a fashion designer. I was actually a management consultant and I worked in brand management and I have an MBA and a finance degree. So I'm a very unlikely fashion designer by any <laughs> sense of the word. And I am not the most stylish person either. I just really like comfortable, versatile clothing. And what I had found was working as a management consultant, you travel almost every single week on a plane. So traveling light becomes of the essence to your life to just get in and out of the airport really quickly. And I found just like traveling for work and for pleasure that there was a lack of clothing that was versatile and stylish and comfortable. 
So I basically had a moment, like an aha moment once packing for a yoga retreat in Costa Rica where my suitcase broke and I started to really question what I was putting into my bag. And I realized that, you know, if I had a couple pieces that could like transform into something else, um, I might be able to get away with just traveling with like a really super small bag. So I just started designing my first piece, which became our first product, which is called the Chrysalis Cardi. It's essentially an eight in one multi-way piece with strategically placed snaps on it so you can snap it together and form different looks so you can make it into a one shoulder gown a tunic a top an infinity scarf and that really became my first product and I started selling that online I um, originally had a website on a platform called Magento and started retailing it online while working full-time and then the business started to take off so I I mean this is crazy, but first I have to stop you. Like, so you designed it. Did you just start drawing something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's everybody always asks me that. And literally that is exactly what happened. So <laughs> I took big pieces of paper. I had this like aha idea and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I had big pieces of like drawing paper in my condo and I just started dr drawing out what I think it might look like. And then I had like an old infinity scarf in my closet. I just started playing around with it. I was like, what if this was bigger? What if this had like a snap here or a Velcro or something? And I went through a lot of like iterations of like testing. I live downtown Toronto and we live near like the fashion district. Yeah. And so I went to a lot of the fashion stores down here and I just picked up like supplies. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I'm just gonna pick up buttons and snaps and Velcro. <laughs> and I literally started like hand sewing it together onto this like old infinity scarf. And I just started playing around with the concept and I showed it to a couple of friends and they were like, this is pretty neat. Like I can see if this had nicer fabric, if it like stayed, this could be really unique. And I did a little bit of market research to see what was out there. If like maybe I was thinking of something that perhaps already existed and guess yeah. what it didn't. So I was like, okay, I think I'm onto something. And I started to get like really obsessed with the idea. So it's a pretty, that piece is a pretty basic piece um, yeah. from an execution standpoint. But um, I did eventually hire a contract technical designer to help me with more complicated piece. And now we have a designer full time. So, wow. Um, yeah. I, I mean, like, uh, first of all, just on the creative part of it alone, I can imagine that being really like such an amazing outlet as you were like, if you kind of daydream back to those days of designing and testing, that must have been so much fun. It is so much fun. And you know what? I, and it is. Yes. It is. It is. It is my favorite <laughs> part of the business. And I don't do enough of it, you know, anymore because I do have a design and production team. But the other day we were working on, we're launching our first ever kind of work pant. It's going to be like a super comfortable, versatile and sustainable fabric that we're using. And I was playing around with the design and I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like, I just love the idea of drawing something having this idea and seeing it come to life. It's just so gratifying. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. I love that so much. Um, I love that you said that you didn't go to design school, like, and mm. you just kind of had fun with it. And I think that, like, I'm thinking of some people that have come into um, my program, Fearless Launching, and there have been a few people who've had, who've been designers or artists, but then there's been some people who weren't, and they have, they have product-based businesses where they design their, um, leather planner, traveler's notebook thingies. I mean, those are pretty simple and in general, cause it's just like a folded piece of leather really. But mm -hmm. I mean, we have some people who are not, you know, they're not designers. So how did you feel like what was going on inside? Like, did were you like, did you just kind of like 
that didn't even matter. You were just like, this is fun. Mm -hmm. People like it. People are already giving me some feedback on this. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely so (laughs) that's, I mean, any product, you know, even like the leather planner that you're talking about there, a notebook, like it's simple in theory, but actually the execution of manufacturing that is pretty complex. Um, You have to know the right people to get that made and where you want it to be made and figure out that whole supply chain. And if you're not from the industry, that's like you're really starting at ground zero and you're going to have to knock on a lot of doors, email and phone a lot of people to find the right contacts and get referrals. And that takes a lot of legwork, which I think can be um, discouraging to people for sure. I was definitely inspired by Marie Forleo's everything is figure outable. It was like my (laughs) mantra for the first couple of years because I would like hit barriers at every step of the way. I remember when I was first producing that product and I'd gotten all the fabric and I was like, finding a manufacturer and like nobody would make it and I wanted to make everything in Toronto and they were kind of like yeah well this is it's gonna cost this much and that price didn't work with the price I wanted to charge and I was like oh my gosh this is over I'm never gonna make this happen but then it just takes one it just takes that one like person who believes in your idea and says okay we'll try it out we think this is kind of cool and that one manufacturer you know did my first run which I sold out and then did my second run and my third run and, you know, it, it kind of snowballs from there. But that initial setup of like figuring out how to actually get something made is often, I think, underestimated in the process. People are usually more worried about like the marketing and the finances. Oh, my gosh. But actually, yes. But yes. this part is so critical because you want to get the product right and at the quality and level that you want it to be at for your customers as well. Yeah. And you want to be able to, I would think, like just be able to produce it in a little bit of a systematized way so that <laughs> you're not... I mean, I don't even know where to begin with the process except to say that there, yes, there is the marketing side, but there's also that other production, just production alone. Um, I I just can't even imagine mm-hmm. having to, well, I'm starting to go down that road, but not in clothing or any kind of textile kind of thing. But I mean, is the industry, would you say, is it like some industries are kind of closed? They don't want to give you any info. And you have to really look for the the person who's like, hey, this is how you do it. I want to help you. I really like what you're doing. You know, what would you say about just the industry in general? Yeah, I would say that is for sure in the fashion industry. It's very protectionist. People yeah. don't want to share their contra- their contacts and stuff like that. Um, and oftentimes it's either because there's a capacity issue, like the person specifically in Canada where I am, like the industry is not very big. It's very small because a lot of the manufacturers have moved overseas. So a lot of people don't want to share for fear of like that person not having enough uh, bandwidth to work with their brand as well. Um, but in general, people don't want to give away their information because they perceive everybody to be a competitor, which is yeah. I get it, but it's not helping the industry. Like we all want to grow. And I've just found through like referring people to one of my key contractors, they've actually been able to like double their business. So we're helping grow by doing that. But I will say that like one of my best manufacturers that I have, I just found out on an ad hoc conversation at a networking event, this woman was like, hey, this people down in Leslieville in Toronto make make my leggings and they're amazing. And I was like, okay, I'll check them out. I would have never found them anywhere else. They don't have a website. They don't have a phone number listed anywhere. They're not in any directories, but they're amazing. So sometimes it's just those little referrals or conversations. That, so you always kind of have to be open to learning about this and getting yourself in the right situations where you will find out more information and networking with people in the industry, I think is really key as well. 
Oh yeah, that's that's really that's really good to know. I mean, I'm I'm also kind of I'm wondering like what are your th I mean, just knowing that it is a very I don't want to say it's very closed people are but it's I I like what you said. It's very they're like very protective of their information mm -hmm. and their contacts and the people that help them. Um what do you think about and this is just cuz it occurred to me that they're and I've seen more and more just completely online based fashion you know, or clothing lines or clothing mm -hmm. brands. Like, what are you thinking about these brands and how, like, I, I, I would think that the ethical part of your business is how you stand out and how you kind of can stand, not even out, just stand above and kind of stand apart. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering if you have anything to say about those. Because I, I have thoughts on those, some, yeah. some of the people that I've seen, but... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very, the fashion industry is very competitive, for sure. You're dealing with an industry that's dominated by big, big players, and you're kind of coming in and being the small fry, if you will, and you're playing within a niche. And when I started Encircled, which was, I originally launched it in late 2012, and then ran it part time for almost two years, and then I quit my job in 2014. And they, you know, the industry has changed a lot. There's been a lot more thanks to platforms like Shopify and stuff like that, which enable people to just set up a store on their own. Like there's a number of new entrants into this ethical space. So the competition has definitely heated up. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just yeah. brings more attention to the issue and creates more opportunity for all of us and puts more pressure on the bigger kind of uh, brands to look at their own practices and change them. But it's always a concern as whether how you differentiate and how you stand apart and definitely our ethics are part of what we stand on. We're also a certified B corporation. Um, we're really passionate about sustainability, but at the end of the day, if you don't have a good design that customers love and you don't have high quality product, uh, you won't retain or attract that many customers. So it's fundamentally important to us to have really innovative and versatile designs as well as high quality product as well as being ethical. So it's kind of not an and or, it has to be all of the things, all of the above. Yeah. I mean, some of the brands that, there, there is one here that's, but they, and they manufacture locally. They, I, I honestly, I don't know if they're ethical. I don't know if they have like that mm -hmm. kind of as part of their values, which is something mm -hmm. I want to check out. But then, then I've seen others that seem like they're kind of just copying all of the best things that some of the, um, ethical brands that I've seen are doing and they are for me when I just I mean maybe I'm I'm not trying to be like snobbish or anything but sometimes you can just tell if something's like somehow slapped together and mm -hmm. poorly made and that is not what I see when I look at when I look at encircled's clothing I'm like oh my goodness this looks very like kind of luxe in uh -huh. a way Thank you. like I'm thinking of the dressy sweatpants <laughs> <laughs> yes which yeah, I still I mean, need to order those. Really I need to, to order those, Chrissy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm all yeah, about. Those are our most popular item. For yeah, sure. I had uh, a feeling that they might be, but but like when you look at even just like there's certain like material types and like the way that something is design designed that it's clearly not just kind of I don't know mass slapped together is the only thing I can say. And some, I what I it it kind of is a little bit disturbing, but it's also good too for the people who are starting very visibly ethical businesses to stand apart very easily. Almost, it's like yeah, well, we don't do that. Yeah, so. your quality has your quality speaks for your product, I guess, and how you make it and 
we knit about half our fabric actually in Toronto in the dressy sweatpants. It's one of the designs where it's actually knit here and dyed here as well. Um, so quality is something we're obsessed with. We not only quality check at the manufacturer, we also quality check when we bring it into our studio where we fulfill out of as well. So it has like two steps of that. And anything that doesn't meet our standards ends up in our samples and second sale, which is very popular online where <laughs> customers can get great discounts. But we don't want to be retailing stuff at the price point that we're retailing that doesn't meet our standards and ultimately our customer standards. Yeah. So it's very easy to like slap together products and stuff like that. But I don't know if that will necessarily stand the test of time in terms of longevity as a business model. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let me ask you then about kind of the marketing side mm -hmm. of things. Um, I'm I'm curious, just in general, like, do you have a? First of all, do you have a? Do you, you said just actually no? Let me go back to the production because you just said something about fulfillment. Do you do mm -hmm. that all? in your studio or do you do it or do you have like another company helping you or do you have specific people like on your team who do that or mm -hmm. yes so all of our fulfillment is actually done out of our studio in Toronto uh, we have our own warehouse in our studio and no I am not doing it myself <laughs> but I do <laughs> I was know hoping how to that you were I'm like what <laughs> no I have a full-time person in what we call customer love and shipping so she does all the fulfillment and we have a number of other people who assist her on a part-time basis as needed when when volumes go up and stuff like that but uh, we do it out of our office and one of the reasons we do that is because we run such small batch production that it doesn't really make sense to warehouse it and we are really obsessed with having like a hand hand touch feel to our packaging. So all of our packaging is sustainable. By doing it in-house, we don't have to poly bag anything, which is a lot of excess plastic. Mm -hmm. And we actually wrap everything with like tissue and make it feel very special for our customers because they're investing a lot of money into this, their clothing and by purchasing with us. And we want it to feel like totally custom and just really exciting when they open that box. So we've just felt really passionately about doing that out of our own office. And a lot of people are hesitant to do that because they're like, oh, it costs so much money, but it actually costs a lot of money to warehouse your product. So I don't necessarily see it as like a cost savings. Yeah. I, I see it as like just whether or not you want to take that on and the efficiencies that you can sometimes get by outsourcing it but you also can gain some stuff by having it in your studio or in your warehouse as well. Um, I've seen that model just with different e-commerce players. You know, everybody has their own model, but it's definitely a mix. And I've seen people bring fulfillment back in-house for that specific reason, because they want to have more control over how the box is put together and what goes in the box and the feel and the personalization of it as well. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, I've always been of the mind that like, just keep it keep it close to home for as long as you possibly can. And if things start to really grow, then you've already like really defined a system and mm -hmm. have gotten gotten it down to a science so that someone maybe can take that over and someone can still watch that in the future if you choose to, you know, you know, take some of it into the warehouse. But I'm also wondering like, you know, for the people who are using these big, bigger warehouses, I mean, are the returns more? Are the mistakes mm -hmm. more? Or is that, you know, because I have received some things in the, in, from, you know, clothing companies where that the bag is just like, and it also just like smells like chemicals. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's not an experience I love, you know, I, yeah. I, what you're, what you're describing, I'm like, oh, that's actually like you're going to the store. Somebody's wrapping it up in the box mm -hmm. and it's like touched by another human. So I love that. 
Yeah. And I think if you have like one SKU, if you're just selling a planner and you have one SKU, it may make sense to fulfill out of a warehouse. Yeah. But with clothing, especially, and I think shoes and stuff like that, where you're going to have a lot of returns for fit and size, it can get very complicated managing that through a warehouse. So there's all these considerations you kind of have to take into account, but I think it's always best to start fulfilling yourself just so you can understand even the process that goes through fulfilling a package and then decide where you want to go as you scale. Yeah, I think I I like that. I like that approach. Um, So, okay, so let me ask you then. So tell me about how how do you do like, do you have launches or do you like have collections? And then, you know, you you said that you have small batch production. So do you let people know like, okay, we're, we're cutting the we're cutting some more of the cutting and dying, you know, some more of these dressy sweatpants this we haven't had this color in about a year. So, or what, mm-hmm. what do you do when you have, you know, how do you know when you're going to actually have a launch or something a little bit bigger? Yeah, so I think we're actually pretty unique for a clothing manufacturer in the way that we treat launches. Um, Part of my background, as I mentioned, I worked in brand management, which is consumer packaged goods. I worked for Colgate Palmolive, which owns toothpaste, and they sell deodorant and stuff like that. And one of the things I picked up from them is that they really focused on making the product the hero of their launches. And what clothing manufacturers typically have done is they make a collection. So they'll make like the fall collection or the spring collection or whatever. And we operate very, very differently. So we actually make our one product, like the hero of the launch. So for example, we just launched a wide leg pant made out of the same material as the dressy sweatpants. So it's like a super comfortable work pant. It's really chic, but the fabric feels like butter. Um, And that product was like the hero of the whole campaign. So everything we did leading up to launching that product Uh, was all about that pant. We're not talking about a collection or a season or a theme of like cruise 2019. It's, it's really focused on the product and the features and functionality and the benefits that it's going to bring to our customer's closet. So I think that's pretty unique, but we definitely have a very defined process by which we launch. And that started fairly early on, just mainly because of the need to sometimes fund some of these launches as well. From a manufacturing standpoint, you need capital Mm -hmm. to do that. So we've often, pretty much since I launched, worked with a pre-order model, which I'm happy to walk through kind of like what that looks like if you want. That's interesting. Yeah, I would love to know more about that. Mm -hmm. So like basically we start off with creating like a landing page where we'll put information on what it is we're working on. So for example, with the all, all day wide like pant, we would create like a landing page through MailChimp and embed it into our Shopify site so that people could learn more about the pant. And if they're interested, they can sign up their email to be notified when it's live on the site. And basically we start building that wait list usually like three to four weeks out. And we'll sometimes, depending on the time between the launch and the wait list being started, we'll go back to them and say, hey, like this is still coming, heads up, like coming in 48 hours or coming in five days. And we'll give them more information on the product. And like you mentioned, we often run small batch, which means we don't produce a large quantity. We're trying to produce almost to demand. So there is a limited quantity, quite honestly, of a lot of this stuff because it's just we're not producing that much and we don't want to overproduce like those big brands do and end up with stock that we're like, you know, incinerating or something like that. So um, we run in small batch. So there is a bit of a sense of urgency because it actually may sell out and then you may have to wait like a couple of months. So we found that process of driving people to the wait list, whether it's through 
social media or we just recently started doing paid ads to drive to the waitlist is a really effective technique because our price points are pretty high. So the fact that somebody's going to come onto our website and see a pant that's $158 and yes, it's made in Canada and yes, it's sustainable, but it still takes a bit for people to say, oh my gosh, like, okay, I want to buy this. Like it's not going to be necessarily a first visit. So that's why the wait list is so great because we can start talking to people about our values and sharing our mission and talking about the pants. And then when it comes to launch day, we launch it first to the wait list and then we launch to our newsletter. And then we kind of have a whole campaign where we work around on um, social as well. But when we're launching a product, we're actually pre-ordering it typically. We're not actually, it's not actually in stock. So what that means is we're basically having customers commit and pay. They can pick their size and color. And then we typically ship it in somewhere between seven to 10 days from launch. So we're basically pre-selling our quantity as much as possible, which enables us to have that additional agility, the cash flow, but also we can adjust our production sometimes. Yeah. Like if we see something selling really well, if we have the fabric, we can maybe dial it up. If it's not selling so well, we can dial it down. And that's kind of the beauty of the internet, right? Like yeah. that's something you could never do with a wholesaler. So it's kind of a neat model and it's really worked for us, especially in the beginning when I didn't have the money to do these large production runs. And now it's just like something we do continuously just because it's it's fun and exciting to like order something online and then get it a few weeks later. Like you may even forget you ordered it. It's like a nice surprise. So yeah. that model's worked really well for us. I love that, the pre, pre-order pre model. And I, I like that, I feel like that's like such a smart, and it actually, it does go along with you being ethical and not like overproducing, mm-hmm. you know, stuff as well, overproducing materials that, like you said, you might have to incinerate later if there mm-hmm. just aren't people buying them. Um, so I'm assuming that like you, you said paid ads. I feel like I've definitely seen you use Instagram a lot. Mm-hmm. Is there, are there, are, are you, are you creating content other than just like, do you have like a blog or something like that? Or do you have mm-hmm. a, like any content marketing that you use? Yes. So from the beginning, content marketing has been something I've been super passionate about, uh, specifically because, you know, some of the stuff that I learned when I took Marie Forleo's B-School, it was all about building your list and building that kind of value added connection with your customer where you can truly make you know, a measurable and positive impact on their lives beyond the product that you're selling. So I started to blog like that was in 2013. And honestly, some of the stuff when I go back and read what I was writing, it's like so embarrassing. (laughs) But (laughs) it's there. Um, But you know, at the time we were because we had that one piece, it was like this eight in one multi way piece, it was largely focused on travel. So I wrote a lot of travel content. And coincidentally, I was traveling all the time because I was still working full time in this job where I was traveling every single week. So I'd write packing lists, I'd write like guides to cities and stuff like that. And some of the content, yeah, you know, it could be it could be better, but it was there and it was useful and it was helpful. And we would use like tools like, you know, Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram to drive to that content. And it just kind of became part of our strategy. And today we do it, but we do it a lot better (laughs) we because I have a team now to help me like we just launched a series called women crush Wednesday where we're basically going out and interviewing uh female entrepreneurs who we find inspiring and editing a video and doing a blog post and putting it on our YouTube and still really designed with the idea of inspiring our customer to do more in their life and to to see what they can do if they tried something new so we're really focused on that and I think that's a big differentiator versus other clothing brands it's very easy 
as we talked about, to start a clothing line, but to start a brand is very yeah. difficult, you know? So that content marketing to me is a huge differentiator. And yes, Instagram is definitely a key channel for us, but we also still see a lot of success on Facebook. Yeah, Our customers definitely really still on that channel as well. What about like, I'm, I mean, you mentioned Pinterest and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Do you still kind of use those as well? Mm -hmm. YouTube is very new for us. Uh, we just started like posting videos on there and they're doing really well. Um, but it's, it's a new channel for us that we want to develop more because video is just so big on the internet right now. And it, not only from a paid ad standpoint, but also organic content is being prioritized if it has video in it. Um, and people are liking to consume it that way or audio like podcasts as well. Um, Gosh. but Pinterest is, Pinterest is huge. I mean, it's a huge traffic driver. It's probably up there as our number one traffic driver, but I see Pinterest as being very top of the funnel. Like people are generally getting to know your brand because yeah. they're coming through a piece of content or something or a, a lifestyle image. So it's really the first point of contact. And then it's up to us to engage them on our newsletter or another social media channel and again, start to educate on the brand and our mission and start to try to get them to fall in love with us and what we're doing. Um, Pinterest isn't like the hot conversion channel. I think sometimes it's positioned to be, but it is a very important channel. I, I mean, I love all this. And I'm like, I'm wondering, like, what would you tell someone who wants to not necessarily, I mean, maybe, maybe they're their ideal or their idea for a business is one that's around, you know, building a clothing line. But what would you what would you say to someone who's thinking about having a product based business or, you know, as a lot of even online um, like course creators and more like thought thought related products like where you're teaching mm -hmm. people things. But let's say someone wants to add a product to their business and really see it as a, you know, not just another little random thing, but actually wants to build out that side of their business, what would you suggest that, that they do? Like, let's say me, let's say I was mm -hmm. coming to you. And I said, <laughs> Christy, I'm thinking about creating this, uh, this thing. I can't really say what it is exactly, but um, what, would you, what would you suggest as a good kind of step? Yeah, that's a great question. So my first thing that came to mind for me was start small. I think one of the things that people do in this business and one quick way to tie up a lot of capital is to go too big too soon. So I think really that embracing that mentality of test and learn and building a product, not just for your customers, but with your customers. So truly dialing into who's your ideal customer, what need are you fulfilling by creating this product and actually testing it with them in advance. I think is pretty critical. And that's a process that we did with, I did with the Cardi, as I talked about yeah. with my friends. That's very ad hoc, but like our work pant we're working on right now, we have a wait list of 700 people and we've gone out to them and said, hey, what's your dream work pant like? Like, what does it include? What does it not have? You have to prioritize these things. What does it, what does it need? And that idea of like creating a product around a need and creating like ultimately a product, what they would call a product market fit, I think it's the key to success in that this space because you really can't just create something just because it's beautiful. It has to have meaning and it has to connect emotionally with the customer. Um, so the more you can kind of tune into what that is and what need you're fulfilling, I think the better. And then if you can start small and just test it and if you can get like 100 units or 50 units and pre-sell them and see how it goes. Um, that's the way I built my line was like skew by skew. I just started adding products 
and researching them and developing them with the customer and getting feedback and iterating them almost like you would do in like a tech, um, yeah, kind of app way because what I saw, like, and I guess the other difference I should explain with our line is like we rarely discontinue products. So unlike a different, all of our products are very seasonless and they're pretty timeless silhouettes. So uh, we keep them in like the dressy sweatpants have been around for almost like four or five years. So like what other fashion line has the same pants <laughs> for five years? It's like unheard of nowadays. Yeah. But like we all know the trends all revolve again. And there's definitely a trend towards minimalism and the idea of these like more timeless modern silhouettes. And that's what we've tried to stick with. So when you're doing that, it's really an opportunity to iterate. And I see this with all kinds of product designers. Like I know with like Danielle Laporte, I use her planner and yeah. she, she often like changes it. Like she'll change the paper stock or she's going to change the pages or the weight. Like I know the one from last year to this year is like significantly smaller, which is great because it's better to fit in your purse. Like, so that idea of continuous improvement, I think is something critical that anybody starting a product based business needs to embrace because you're not going to get it perfect on the first try. Yeah. But what matters is what you do after that and how you can improve the product based on customer feedback. Yeah, I mean, I think every, what you're saying too, I mean, just in terms of like, you know, building building something with other people, I feel like if, I really love doing that anyways, just with courses and programs and anything that anything that I'm doing in, in my business, but I feel like it's even more important to do that, especially with something that's a physical product. Um, and people really get attached to their physical products. Like I, you know, I'm thinking again of this woman who started this, you know, the traveler's notebook really is just a folded. I mean, in reality, it's like just a folded piece of leather with some strings or elastics that bind your little notebooks inside. And there's a lot of companies that have that. And, but she kind of created her first little signature one and and started testing that out and started showing, I was one of the people she showed it to. And then she started just kind of using it and sharing it with her friends who were in her various, you know, Facebook groups, because there's tons of planner groups, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. I, I, I love, I love the, all of those ideas. Um, gosh, I feel like we're going to need to talk after this. Um, <laughs> I have some more questions, no but um, we're, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you and then I'm going to I'm going to let you go for today but I wanted to ask you I feel like you you have some other th you have some other things going on too cuz I felt like I saw something recently are you like um do you do coaching as well at all do you do any coaching I feel like I saw you doing something Yeah so I am a mentor coach in Marie Forleo's B school program mm -hmm. which is active right now I also, I used to do more coaching. I actually don't have the time right now because I have a team of 12 right now, soon to be 16, uh, working for me at Encircled. So I don't have a lot of free time, but <laughs> I do have a podcast. I have a podcast called Brave and Boss, um, which I am trying to stay up to date with weekly and doing a pretty good job of so far. Um, and that's all about, it's not just for product-based entrepreneurs, but it's for anybody starting a business who kind of deals with you know, the ups and downs from the emotional side, as well as like the tactical marketing side of running a business, because we both know that it's not one or the other, it's both. Yeah. Um, and really dealing with your mindset and figuring out how to make that seemingly impossible growth possible, I've seen being a big barrier for in particular women as well. Because mm -hmm. when I used to do coaching, a lot of a lot of the people I would coach, 
they had all the tools, they knew what to do. It's just they were holding themselves back. So I think the more we can enable uh, women to like let go of some of those limiting beliefs and those ideas that are actually standing in their way and enable them with both the, the techniques, tactics, strategies and tools to do that. I think the more successful they'll be. So that's just one of my like side passions is helping other uh, female entrepreneurs get ahead. Well, I'll be checking that out. Um, okay, so you already told us where to, to to like go check out Encircled, but can you tell us again, just in case people sure. are like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the best place to check us out is either on Instagram at Encircled, that's E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D underscore. And then our U.S. website is encircled.co and Canadian is encircled.ca. Amazing. Okay. Well, Chrissy, this was really fun and um, I'm sure we could talk about more topics, but let's let that settle for now. Everybody awesome. can start thinking of their start small idea and maybe something that they're going to test. And then we can go off and listen to Brave and Boss. I love that. I didn't even know. <laughs> How did I not know that? Are you keeping it secret? <laughs> <laughs> obviously I'm not doing a great job of marketing well maybe I have my head in the sand it's not your fault <laughs> it's maybe totally me um, what is that there? <laughs> but I will definitely be going to check that out um listen I wanted to really thank you I, I learned a lot today and I was like taking so many notes I'm going to actually take a picture and and text it to you so you can see what I did here it's kind of a mess um but I just got so excited about what you're doing and I'm excited for everybody else to get to know you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk soon because we're both okay. we're both working on the mentor thing uh, as well. And so, but thank you again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Again, if you want to get any of the links, any of the resources, anything we mentioned today, you can always head over to ansamoylove.com forward slash 221 to get all those details, find out how to reach Christy, find out how to look up and circled and get your dressy sweatpants on. So thank you again for listening. And we will be back next week. We've got some major interview action happening over the next several weeks. So hopefully you'll come back to us. And if you're not already subscribed, make sure you head over to iTunes or your podcast player of choice, search up the fearless launching show and then subscribe. So you'll make sure you'll ensure that you get the latest episodes notified right away. So I cannot even speak today. All right. Have a great one. And I will see you next week.